Dear fellow redeemed, we consider briefly our reading from Ephesians chapter 5. And as we begin, I guess where I'd like to begin and where I'd like to start is a question for you to consider and you can confer with people sitting next to you by all your friends there, right, Glenn? You can confer with somebody sitting nearby. The question, how many religions are there in the world? How many religions are there in the world? And you can talk to somebody sitting nearby, and you can divide that up however you wish. You can say, well, Christianity is, is one group. Or you could say, well, I know there's Baptists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Catholics, Seventh-day Adventists, or whatever the case may be. Try to come up. I'll, I'll give you, like, 20 seconds. I've got a clock right back there. 20 seconds to try to come up with your answer, your best guess, at how many religions there are in the world. I'll look at my watch. And that number, if you wanted to include every single religious group that you could think of, that number would be almost as many as there are people. <laughs> well, maybe not quite, but pretty close. Consider, for instance, that in the, the country of Indonesia, they have um, political parties that are associated or affiliated with different segments of Islam. And in one recent election, they had over 147 different parties, each with their own interpretation of Islamic belief. How many religions are there? I think when you think about it for just a minute, the question is actually a little bit easier and a little bit simpler. Um, maybe it's cheating if I said there were only two. That's probably not nearly as many as, as you may have thought, but there's only two. And you see it everywhere you look. The first religion is the religion that says do. Do this and don't do that. The second religion, the one that we are practicing today, is the religion that says done. And so when you think about it that way, when you think about there are two religions, there's a do religion and a done religion, then everything starts to fall into its proper context and its proper understanding because if everything is done, then there's nothing left for me to do. But then we get to today's reading. And you look at that, and it's one of those readings where it usually, um, this happened actually back in Ottawa, you know, big long church that we would have like 120 to 140 people on any given Sunday. And, um, and it's about 40 rows of pews, and I can almost see the people way in the back. And, uh, and you get about partway through the sermon, and then and then um, see the elbows start jabbing the husbands in the side. You should listen up to this part. And they startle awake. Because what God says here in Ephesians chapter 5 sounds like another set of commands of do this and don't do that. And you look at it, and, and we see um, you know, verse 21 is kind of the overarching attitude of the Christian life. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he has some very specific recommendations and guidelines and commands for, for wives. 
and then very specific commands and guidelines for husbands. And you look at that, and you might think to yourself, well, Pastor Hagen, time out. That sounds like a whole lot of do. Do this and don't do that. <laughs> Can't you read the sign? But the done of everything makes the difference. Because there still are only two religions in the world, the do religion and the done religion, and no matter how you dress it up and no matter what names you might use, there is still only, still only one God, and only the done religion proclaims this true God. Every other do religion is distracted by demonic deception. The done religion points to Jesus. And the fact that everything is done changes all of our attitudes and all of our understandings because, because you realize that if it were not done, we would never know if we had been doing enough. And you see this. Um, I had a recent experience where we were out of town and, and I sat in at the back of a, a church service that we had been invited to Wonderful people, wonderful people, Christian people, they sat there with their Bibles open and they mentioned Jesus by name one time. But everything that they did, everything that they said was hinging on their own emotion about God. Because their baseline belief was that Jesus hadn't done it all. Their foundational belief was that Jesus really gave you a new start on life, and it's up to you to live up to that. It's up to you to commit yourself to the Lord. It's up to you to have a strong enough feeling so that you can finally squash your sinful nature, and it's up to you to do it all. And they even turned some of the, the blessings of God, like, like baptism, for instance, uh, where God gives us his forgiveness. They turned it into something that we do our commitment to God and our effort for God just comes down to the same do and done. And if Jesus hadn't done it all, we would never know if our doing was enough. Paul has spent over five chapters now describing what Jesus has done. Describing the fact that you as a Christian, you as a person, share the same humanity as the Son of God. We realize this, right? That, I even talked to somebody just before the worship service today, uh, their question from a friend was, was who created God? Well, God has always existed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he has no beginning, has no end. That is the fact that God is eternal. But that second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who has no beginning and no end, he chose to share your humanity and mine so that you can say that this person, Jesus Christ, has all authority in heaven and on earth, that this person, Jesus Christ, died and rose from the dead for me simply because of the fact that you are a human being and the Son of God shares your humanity, you can know with absolute certainty that all is done. Paul says that numerous times. Jesus himself says that that. He gave his life for all. There's no, there's no wiggle room there. And thanks be to God. 
that our hearts can rest at ease because Jesus has done it all. Because if Jesus hadn't done it all, we'd never know if our doing had been enough. Because that's the way our consciences work. That's the way our sinful heart works. The idea of of approaching holy God and standing in his presence. Our sinful heart wants to say, I can do this on my own. I can do this if I just do enough. (laughs) I can do this. uh, and And if God doesn't let me into his presence on the basis of what I keep doing, then maybe the problem is with him and his standards and his law. Our sinful heart wants to hold on to the idea, the belief, that my doing has some relevance to my standing with God. Jesus even talks about that in our gospel lesson today. He says, um, verse 63, the spirit is the one who gives life, the flesh does not help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. In other words, that our effort, our doing, has no contribution to our standing before God because where we stand with God is done. On the basis of Jesus walking out of that tomb, on the basis of Jesus Christ sharing our humanity, on the fact that in your holy baptism, God gave you life. We who could do no spiritual good on our own, he himself gave us new birth. And he brought life and immortality, that is, an unending life, into your life and mine. And that's done. And it's complete. So why does Paul talk so much about doing? That's really the the, the question today, isn't it? Why does Paul talk so much about doing when it's all done? Because we've talked about this a little bit in our Friday afternoon Bible class. Friday at 1 p.m. if you're available. Our Friday afternoon Bible class where we're talking and studying the book of James. And talking about the relationship of the Christian to God's law. And the fact that when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, it was as though God nailed his own Ten Commandments to that cross also. So that you and I stand under this cross dripped with the blood of the Son of God, with your sin washed away. And those commands don't accuse you anymore. That you don't have to carry the guilt and the shame of not measuring up. Because it's not about your doing. It's about what Jesus has done. That it's free and full and complete. We've talked about that, right? So why? Why does Paul talk so much about doing? Look at the way he puts it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. All the doing. And it would be so simple to focus on that. And it would be so simple to look at this in the mirror and, and maybe if you're having a bad day or, or it, was a, it was a rough week, you would say, well, if my spouse just did that one thing and if they had a better attitude toward me, 
Or maybe you think to yourself, well, this is what I should be doing. And here's how I have fallen short. But we have to come back to our starting point. That there's only two religions, do and done. And we're here today because the Son of God has done it all. And you recognize and you realize when we're reading through this in Ephesians chapter 5 that he's not really focused on all the doing that you and I have to do. He's using, he's using the example of marriage, of that relationship between man and woman. He's using that marriage that, as an example to talk about the relationship of Jesus to you, his church. Capital C Church, you know, what we talk about in the Apostles' Creed. Where is the Creed? There it is. What we talk about in the Apostles' Creed um, as the communion of saints, the Holy Christian Church. Jesus uses the example of marriage to talk about the relationship of himself to his people, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. Because it's not about our doing, it's about what he has done. And it's only, only when we have been set free by Jesus having done everything that we can approach our doing in the proper light. That when you have Ephesians chapter 5 and, and what he says here about our attitudes toward one another applies to each of us, whether you're married or single or previously married or whatever the case may be, that you yourself can find your own place and your own name here in Ephesians chapter 5 when he talks about the attitude that we have. When he uses that word, submit. And that, that sounds like one of those words, like a cheese grater on your ears or on your hearing, like, oh, that kind of makes everybody cringe a little bit, at least. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. But when he talks about submit, submission and obedience are two different things. Obedience is an outward action that can be compelled. Submission is an inward attitude. Obedience is this outward action that can be compelled. You can be compelled to, to drive the speed limit or only slightly over. You can be compelled to follow whatever restrictions or laws happen to be on, on you. You can be compelled to um, you know, file your taxes and make sure that you have registered for the draft when you turn 18 because the power of the law can compel obedience. Do. It's still there. But that attitude that he talks about, the attitude that dwells among God's people, the attitude that is there in the marriage relationship, the attitude that is there among Christians, is this inward attitude, not of, not of an outward action of obedience, but this inward attitude of submission or I might use the word deference, that you might defer to what, what somebody else is in need of or what their schedule is in need of. You might defer to, to understanding what their ideas and their attitudes might be, to take a step back. Because it's only, only when it's all done, and it doesn't rest on our doing, that we can hold onto our obligations with an open hand. You see, if, if Paul here in Ephesians chapter 5 were simply talking about your doing, and he was talking about our actions, 
If Paul were talking about our doing and our actions here in Ephesians chapter 5, then we would need to, to focus in absolutely with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind to make sure that we follow every single detail. And your conscience would never be able to rest. When have I been doing enough? How much doing is enough? When can I finally say, I have been doing enough and I can lay down my obligations? But it's only when you and I understand and live in the fact that Jesus has done it all, only when that is the case, can we look at this to see, you know what, Paul is simply describing our Christian life with one another as the same thing, the exact same thing as your own relationship to your Savior. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That is, that husbands would view their wives the same way that they would view Jesus. In the same way that Jesus viewed them. And wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. That wives would interact with their husbands as though interacting with Jesus himself. There's that mutual attitude, not some outward compliance, but an inward attitude that can be compelled only by the gospel truth that Jesus has done it all, that you have been set free. And even the attitude that cloaks all of our interactions with one another, of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, that's not talking about outward actions of obedience, but this inward attitude of, of deference that says, you know what, the fellowship that we share is more important and stronger than my own personal preferences. The fellowship that we share together is based on the fact that Jesus has done it all. And, and so that means that it's not up to me to do all the doing. It's not up to me to make sure that all the doing happens in the exact right, proper way. The fact that Jesus has done it all means that my actions are prompted by an attitude that says Jesus has done it. It's not outward obedience and compliance. It's an inward attitude that is compelled only by the gospel in a heart that has been set free from guilt and worry and shame, forgiven by the Son of God himself who shares our humanity. You think of it this way, that that out there in the, in the entryway, we've got a table. And on that table are actually two different things. First is um, our membership directory. So if you have a few moments before you leave today to, to look through that and check your information on one of the copies and then put a check mark to make sure that it's correct. Or you can provide an update. But then the other one out there is uh, what was also in the email that went out yesterday afternoon. Um, I printed a copy of it, and there's printed copies out there, or you could use the link that is in our bulletin today. Um, and it's a survey, it's through Google Forms, and, and if you went through it as quickly as it could, it would take all of like 90 seconds, okay? So it's a little bit longer than the last one we had. But I called it Resurrection Life Survey. Because as a church who wants to work together, and as a church that wants to be receptive and prepared to bring along with us the brothers and sisters from Zion Lutheran Church, as a church who is cloaked with this attitude of deference toward one another, 
saying that this fellowship and the faith we share matters more than anything. We need just a little bit more systemizing, I guess, or organization, you know, coming off of a pandemic year on top of it. We need to organize just a little bit more. And so these, these questions, you know, give it some time or take it home or fill out the link um, that, that is in your email, whatever the case may be. But give it some thought. Because this doesn't depend on your doing. Jesus doesn't need our serving. But the fact that Jesus has done it all reminds us of the truth that we have a limited amount of time here on earth to make an impact on the eternity of somebody else. We have a limited amount of time here on earth to work together in fellowship with our brothers and sisters. We have a limited amount of time to put that attitude of deference or submission into practice. As we say, you know what, maybe, you know, maybe music or new visitor follow-up or member encouragement, um, maybe any one of those things isn't my cup of tea, but I'll do something that I can do. I can stand by the door and say, good morning, welcome to Resurrection, here's a bulletin. I can, you know, I can call two or three people a week and just say, I want to update you on what's going on at church. Because Jesus doesn't need our doing. Because he's done it all. But that simple fact that he's done it all means that, that we can do it. We can carry out these tasks freely. Not compelled by guilt. Not, not driven along by sideways glances and, and saying, well, I'm doing this much and look how much that person is or isn't doing but with a heart set free and an attitude, an inward attitude instead of just outward actions that are compelled and in compliance with what we think is right. But compelled by the gospel, that inward attitude that expresses itself in action to say, you know what? My Jesus has given everything for me here and he's brought me into this family of believers here. And how can I how can I serve him as I serve my fellow believers? That's the proper place for doing. Because there's still only two religions in the world, the, the do religion and the done religion. And every time that somebody talks about moral improvement or ethical um, choices, they're talking about doing. Even every time that, that our schools are trying to create good moral character in the children of our society, they're talking about doing, and that is a religious pursuit. And you and I don't live under that law. We have a Savior who says that he has done it all. He has brought you into a body of believers, and he has set you free. He maybe even has brought you into a close family relationship with, with loved ones or a spouse, where he says, dear Christian, there are only two religions, do and done. But since, since he has done it all, feel free. Find something that you'd like to do in service to another, in service to your Lord. Amen.